0: All right, you've got an outline on the uh, on the table in front of you and you'll see that we are in we're looking at Gideon as Israel meets her judges and we are down to chapter 7 the second part of verse 8 uh just very brief review how many soldiers does Gideon have now now that they've been culled down 300 uh God's ways are not our ways we would have been uh, we would have been thrilled at 30,000 they're down to 300. God is clearly saying, trust in me. And you know, there is that famous preacher who said, common sense does not necessarily equal God's will. And here is a case where common sense says, take all the soldiers you got and go after them. It does not make sense to cut it down to 300. But God is going to be glorified, and that is what makes sense of this story. God says, I will save you. Now, not only are they down to 300, but they their equipment, no mention of swords and spears as they prepare to go to battle, What what, what are they taking with them? Trumpets and jars of clay with lights in them. Well, that'll be that'll really go well. Uh, the Midianites will shake in their boots. Well, that's exactly what will happen. They will. It's a marvelous story of God's provision for his people. So let's look at chapter seven, verse eight, the second part of that verse, and we'll read through verse fifteen. Now, the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, that is, below Gideon and below the camp of the 300. He could see them, but they could not look up and see him. But they knew he was there. They just couldn't look up and see him. Now, verse 9, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. There's as plain a promise as you can find. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Now, can you see the promise of God? It's as good as done. I am going to give them into your hands. The two... uh, The two Midianites, one telling the other about his dream, and it doesn't take his friend a millisecond to respond. This can only be the sword of Gideon. They had heard, they knew of the God of Israel, and they were petrified. And then Gideon goes back to his troops, and he makes it as a statement of fact, God is going to give the Midianites into our hands. Now, let's talk about these few verses The Midianite camp is in the valley below where the Israelites are. Uh, They have vast numbers, vast numbers. Uh, Night is falling. The lights, the campfires show their numbers. And not only that, it talks about them being thick, as thick as locusts. And the camels are so many that they can't even be numbered. Now, that's quite an army to see when in your mind you know you have 300. So when God said to Gideon, I'm going to do this, but if you are still afraid, if you're still concerned, then I want you to take Pura, your servant, go down and listen to what you hear. Listen to what, what what's being said. God knows Gideon is still nervous. I'm giving you the victory. It's as good as done. It is done. But if you're still afraid, and apparently he was, okay, I'm going to give you one more assurance. Go down to the camp of Midian. Take your trusted servant, your right-hand man, Pura. Get as close as you can get to hear what's being said, and what you hear will encourage you. Isn't that a great promise? What you hear will encourage you. So Gideon and Pura sneak down to the edge of the Midianite camp. Now, that takes courage too, doesn't it? I mean, they're sneaking around and just the two of them. um, And yet he's afraid, but he has courage to do that. So are you able to see yourself in that? I, I can see myself. God's promised I'm... Filled with courage, but I'm still scared. So Gideon, an incredible man, but remember he is a man, just like you and me. And he was nervous, he was afraid, and yet filled with courage, courage enough to take Pura and go right to the edge of the camp and to listen. They are a powerful force, those Midianites. Sheer numbers alone, thick as locusts, camels can't even be counted. And, and those Midianite men rode, many of those Gideonite men rode camels carrying swords or spears. And the untrained Israelites, 300 of them, that's what they're going to have to face. Wow. So Gideon and Pura get as close as they can get. Much of the camp is asleep. But there is a conversation going on between two Midianite soldiers. One of them has had a strange dream. But the interpretation of that dream is clear. They have heard of Gideon and Gideon's God and they are certain of defeat. Isn't that amazing? Now, they don't know that there are only 300 up on the hill. But what they do know is that the God of Israel is real and he's powerful and they are absolutely certain we're, we're going to lose. We're going to lose this battle. Now right there, I find this just so encouraging and amazing. Right there within a whisker of the enemy camp, Gideon bows down and worships God. Isn't that great? He hears what those two men are saying. And he bows down and he worships God. And now he returns to his camp brimming with God-given confidence. He goes back to the camp of 300, wakes them up, and says, get up, we've been promised the victory. And it's real clear what he says. He doesn't say, follow me guys, I'm gonna give you the victory. He says, God, the Lord, has already given us the victory. It's done. Follow me. Now follow me. So, you want to see how it happens? Let's look at verse 16. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords... The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah as far as the border of Abel-Meloah near Tabith. Israel's, Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. What he's doing here, he wants to cut them off, not let them get across the river, back toward their territory. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the Rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. All right, let's let's talk about that for a minute. They all have trumpets. What do trumpets do? They make noise. Well, if it's played by Gary Bledsoe, it makes beautiful noise. If it's played by these guys, it's just noise. All of them have trumpets. They have jars with little mini torches inside to provide light. When they break the jars, then there's the the light by itself at the top of the torch. So three 100-man companies spread out, fan out in three directions so that they will surround the Midianites on three sides and force them in one direction. Now, Gideon says, watch me, do what I do. And here's your instruction. When I blow my trumpet, you blow your trumpet. When I shout, you shout. And then watch God. Watch what God does. This happens in the middle watch. There are three watches. There were three watches. Six to ten, ten to two, and two to six. So the changing of the guard, so to speak, had just happened. They weren't prepared for a dark attack. And he's going to make his army seem much bigger than they are in the dark, and in the confusion. So you say, well, what's the reason for this way of doing it? Well, the noise of the trumpets and the waving of the torches will make it look like, man, there's a million of them out there, when in actuality there were only 300. But one million without God is helpless. 300 with God is unbeatable. And here's what they had: 300 Israelites acting in obedience to God. So when the uh, trumpet sounded and the jars were broken and the light literally explodes all around the Midianite camp, they are shocked. They they think they're about to be overrun, and they hear what they think is that a big army just about to sweep through them. And what did they do? They ran. And when they ran, they began to run into each other. And it's so dark, they didn't know who they were running into, so they pulled their sword and began to fight one another. So Israel did as they were told, and they did as Gideon did. And they continued to yell, and they continued to sound the trumpets, and they continued to wave their torches. And the three companies of 100 surround three sides of the camp, and the Midianites begin to run toward home. Now, in verse 22, the Midianites, in darkness and confusion, can't tell who's who, so in fear they fight one another, and they fled eastward toward the Jordan River. That's where they were from. They were from east of the Jordan River. And so messengers go out from Gideon to ask for help from their brothers, their other tribes, because they want to surround the fleeing Midianites Cut them off. Don't let them get back across the river, and as George said a few moments ago, slaughter the Midianite army. That's their intent to do exactly that. Now, um, the brothers spring into action quickly. The other tribes, Uh, they, I I believe, they were all aware of what was going on, and, and they were at the ready. So that when messengers come and say, hey, come on, come help us, they didn't have to say, well, give us two or three days to get our supplies together. No, they, they were ready. They jumped and they let's go. They were ready. And they cut the Midianites off to keep them from getting home. And the Midianites were, were, were trapped. And Ephraim seized two of their leaders, Oreb and Zeb, and killed them and beheaded them. It's a delicious thought after lunch beheaded them, and showed off what they had done. Showed the heads to Israel and to to Gideon. Let me say a few things about Gideon. We're not through with Gideon by any means, but let me just stop and say a few things about Gideon. First of all, Gideon gives all the glory to God. Gideon gives all the glory to God. Notice in verse 15, he tells his troops, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. He gives the Lord the glory. Second thing about Gideon. Gideon acts the leadership role cut out for him. Exactly what God wanted him to do, that's what he does. Watch me in verse 17. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do as I do. So Gideon acts out the leadership role that has been laid out for him by God. He doesn't drive his troops. He doesn't threaten his troops. He sets a personal example. He leads them, and they follow his leadership. Third, Gideon is resourceful. He's resourceful. Now, one of the things we don't know for certain is how much detail did God give Gideon about the method of the attack. Scripture doesn't say it doesn't give us any detail. If God said, take torches... And, and take trumpets. It's not there. So did God tell Gideon or did Gideon in his planning and his leadership as the Lord spoke to his heart? How did, how did that happen? Well, we don't know. And quite frankly, it doesn't really matter because God's in charge. But Gideon acts in a resourceful manner, whether some of this is his idea or all of it's God's idea. He acts in a resourceful manner and what God has said to Gideon that is in the scripture and is clear is obey me. And that's what Gideon does. Now, do you see yourself there? Can you? Sometimes God says, here's what I want you to do. And sometimes he doesn't fill in all the details. He just says to you and to me, obey me. And so we begin the process of obedience and watch as God fills in the details and tells us what to do and guides us to do what he wants us to do. Our responsibility is obedience. And so Gideon obeys God. The plan is devised. It's a smart plan. Only God can get the glory from a plan like this. This is not... Um, It's probably not the kind of plan that you're going to teach at war college. When you go to battle, here's what you do. You take trumpets and you take lamp jars. Probably not the way it's going to be taught. uh, But that's what Gideon does, and there's only one person that can get the glory. Nobody leaves this event talking about, man, aren't those Israelis powerful? Nobody's saying that. What they're saying is, wow, God is incredible. This is exactly what God intended. So who gets to glory? God gets to glory. And, and the army looks bigger than it really is because of all the torches and the trumpets and the shouting and the confusion and the darkness. And Gideon shows leadership in pressing his advantage. What does he do? They're running away. What, what does Gideon say? Oh, there they go. We'll never catch them. That's okay. We won. Nope. He says, okay, guys, come on. We're going after them. And by the way, go tell my brothers, brother tribes, go tell all these some of these tribes, it's time. Come on and help us. And they were on the ready, and they came, and they helped in the battle. So they seized the Jordan, meaning mission, that's what Gideon wanted. Secure the Jordan. We don't want them getting across the river. Because then we may have a hard time catching them. Gideon displays wisdom, especially in dealing with his angry brother Ephraim, which we will see in just a moment. But before we get there, I refer you to Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 33. Don't tell Betty Anderson that I forgot to put them on your sheet. Hebrews 11, 32 and 33. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lambs, lions and on it goes. So Gideon is acting on faith because God's made a promise. And Gideon says, I believe you, God. I believe you. So I'm going to act by faith in your word, in your promise. Now, one more. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses five through seven. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. Does that remind you of the, of Gideon and the, and the jars, the light? Let light shine out of darkness. Make he who said, Let your light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all this surpassing power is from God, not from us. I love what Paul said. And anybody, any Jew who's listening to what Paul said would remember the battle of Gideon and the jars and the lights. And that would make the story more meaningful to them. And remind them of Gideon's faith in God and Israel's faith in God. Now, how does that apply to you and me? Well, we're in a fight. Have you noticed? We're in a fight. With God, we will win. Without Him, we will fail. So what's our strategy? What's our strategy? Obedience. That's our strategy. One-word strategy, obedience. We have strengthened weakness. We are breakable clay jars. But we have within us the light of Christ that shines in the darkness. And so it's all for God. Now, I want to introduce really quickly the eighth chapter. So let's look there because we see um, right in the middle of all this, A tad bit of resentment. You know, anytime you're doing something to honor God, somewhere, somehow, in some shape, form or fashion, somebody's going to introduce something negative. It always happens. Well, here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And they challenged him vigorously. So they're in his, they're, they're in his face. Now notice how Gideon handles it. But he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of Abiezer? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. (laughs) I love it. So what Gideon does is say, Oh, man, you know, I can't even hold a candle to you guys. Y'all are awesome. Look what you did. And you're walking around now holding the heads of these two kings. And I'm not, you know, what have I done compared to what you've done? And so they say, Oh, oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Okay. Master, You know, a masterful response on the part of, of Gideon to his brother tribe Ephraim. Now Ephraim had been called to block the fleeing Midianites. They were called out late, but they responded quickly and they did well. And in their position, they did what they could do and they did it quickly. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon. By the river Jordan, they stopped the Midianites before they could cross. Now, in in, in verse 1, the Ephraimites were offended. They've been stubbed. Um, does it ever amaze you, right in the middle of God being glorified, that somebody's always got an issue? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that in the life of a church? <laughs> well, I'm sure that's never happened here, but, you know... Things are going well. Oh, my, I've been so offended. I've been so wounded. I've been so hurt. Why? Why not just say, I'm okay. God's being glorified. The victory's being won. I don't care how it happens. Well, Ephraim says, we would have come sooner. Did you not have any confidence in us? So they were personally mad, and I think, okay, he's kind of just like brothers, uh, brother tribes. You know, how come you didn't include? We're we're the best fighters of all the brothers, anyway. How come you didn't bring us into the fray to begin with? Seems a little silly from our perspective, doesn't it? Gideon is smooth. He's humble. What I've done is nothing compared to you. You're leftovers. That's what he's saying. You're leftover grapes. Are better and more plenteous than the full harvest of my family. You captured the Midianite leaders, Orab and Zeb. Do, do I even begin to compare with you? Uh, no, you don't. So we're okay now. <laughs> we're, we're happy. All right. For whatever it's worth, and whatever that says to you, just take it to heart. Now we come to verse four. And that we've got to stop. So I'll make a note to start there next time. A swaggering resistance. Oh my. <laughs> Have you ever seen somebody swagger and then get cut down to size? That's what's going to happen here. It's kind of amazing that these guys were so, uh, such swaggering braggarts. Uh, there's a reason that we'll explain there's an excuse. Let me put it that way. There's an excuse for them acting that way. And we'll see what that is and the results next time. So we'll pick up right there at verse 4 of chapter 8 a week from today. So, Father, uh, to you be all glory for what you're doing. Father, we're reminded that our role and responsibility is that of obedience Father, not to see ourselves more highly than we should, but to be humble before you and to follow you in complete and total obedience, trusting you to fill in the details that we may not yet be able to see, but we know you've said, do this, do that, whatever it is, and so we're going to proceed on the road of obedience and just know that as we go down the road, you will fill in the blanks that we can't yet see. Father, I thank you for the life of Gideon and the inspiration that it provides for us. So with all that in our minds and in our hearts, we prepare to leave this room, pray that you'll keep us safe in the palm of your hand and bring us together again next week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you all.